Hi, this is Raghu Marcus, and welcome back to Ramdas Here and Now podcast. And this podcast includes a talk Ramdas gave uh, at Hunter College in 1970. It's a piece of the talk. And this talk is around uh, desire. This is like uh, one of what you would call basic uh, spirituality 101, uh, except that uh, it applies, you know, from uh, the early moments that you get onto the path all the way to when you think you've gone beyond some of this stuff. And I have a little example uh, myself here. Um, the uh, there's a there's a great quote that uh, Ramdas uh, gives actually from the time. So this is 1970. So this is just before, or you know, around seven months or so, six months before he went back to India the second time. And during the time that he was in India the first time, uh, and he stayed uh, at uh, Nimkaroli Baba Maharaji's ashram in the foothills of the Himalayas in Kenshi, uh, he had a teacher, Haridas Baba, who um, taught him yoga and all of uh, the basic yogic principles beyond uh, Hatha Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga. So this is, uh, Ramdas talks about how he always uh, kind of quotes this particular thing that, the t- that his teacher, Haridas, used to tell him all the time. Desire is a trap. Desirelessness is liberation. Desire is the creator. Desire is the destroyer. Desire is the universe. And uh, that does say it all for most of us, most of the time. And uh, we talked about, he talks about... um, with eyes unclouded by desire, we see how it all is in reality. But even the desire to see how it all is, is another desire that clouds reality. That's something to contemplate. So uh, there is, um, fortunately, some antidotes to uh, desire, uh, ways to develop uh, a... Uh, a center from which uh, we can really, you know, take a look at how we act uh, day to day, moment to moment. Um, and, you know, there's an interesting, actually, he, he talks about um, some different methods. And, and there was one he talked about, which I haven't, geez, I haven't remembered or gone to this in such a long time. There's a teacher named Gurjeev that uh, I'm sure many of you know. Um, and he had a practice called self-remembering, which is very similar to developing the witness, which uh, Ramdas has talked a lot about over the years and, and from that time to this time. Um, and that witness s- allows you to slowly extricate yourself uh, from those desires that cloud your eyes and extricate ourselves from from our melodrama, which is which is, you know, very much key to being able to navigate life uh, and and have some kind of balance. So, uh, 
we could check that out. In fact, we should. Uh, I'm going to talk to my um, my partner in mind rolling, which. If those of you who haven't uh, listened to that podcast, go to mindrollingpodcast.com and listen to David Silver and I ramble on about uh, all sorts of different things. And I, that's probably a proper forum for um, talking about Gurdjieff because I know that uh, David's uh, father was, was a student of Gurdjieff. Um, so desire has to fall away. You know, just like the skin from a snake. You can't rip it off. There's nothing. We can't sit here and just block it. It's not going to happen. It, it, You know, everything has to happen of its own, in its own time. We have a certain, uh, we have certain proclivities, some scars they're called. And we can just watch them. And and when you see the list here, you know, just, just the basic desires for food, friendship, sexual gratification, and I like what he says here. It moves on to like smelling the spring. Yeah. Hot baths. And I, I know how attached he is because uh, he and I have discussed this a lot because so am I. Um, great luxurious softness. Wow. That's one. Pure food. Or just desire for getting free for the light. Of course, that's the last desire. That you, you can hold on to that one. Um, uh, so, uh, what does he say here? We can, and all we can do is witness it from that calm center. So, it, the development of, of the witness is really the antidote here to um, how we get so pulled and how we are so, uh, everything is so colored by our desires day to day. Great talk here. Uh, again, it's 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 very basic uh, stuff, uh, and uh, but it's the basic stuff that never goes away until you are completely free. Um, and uh, one neat thing, and and here's my little anecdote, and that is he talks about. So if you're on the way to this talk, the talk that he gave here, and you go through the subway toll, and the ticket person is slow, and you're running late. And you get angry, and you put her up tight by your he or she up tight by your anger, in order to get to the lecture, to be holy. Well, there's a cost. It all costs. And he talks about listen. You know, we you cannot separate yourself from someone. You know, we are that person, and that person is us at the highest level. And once, you know, and this is just a, you know, it's a, it's a great pointing out of how we create this, this universe that we're in uh, with everybody that we meet every moment. And I'm, so I'm thinking to myself as I'm listening to this, oh Christ, just the other day, um, we talk about creating karma. Dropped my cell phone, smashed the glass, right? Smartphone, so you can't, you know, you, you're, it's an iPhone, and I couldn't use it, you know. Just putting my finger on the screen created shards of glass. It was really horrible. So I ran over to the Verizon store, and and I got completely bamboozled by they would not even talk to me because I forgot my password. And, you know, and it was somebody who was maybe not that ready to 
go the extra mile to help me out. As they say here in North Carolina where I am, hit me out. They're going to not hit me out. And as a result, I went slightly berserk because the phone, my whole life is in this phone and I can't use it. And I charged out of that store and I got in my car and I gunned it and went down the street, completely lost any perspective (laughs) that I might have developed over these last too many years. And, uh, and then I, so then I got on the phone with them. I thought, okay, well, I had to calm down. So I got on the phone with them and, uh, did somewhat better. Still had to go through a few hoops, but this, the lady on the phone, she was a a little bit more cooperative. And then I got off after all is said and done. and, And I just sat there and felt what I had created and uh you know i fe- and then my next uh feelings were uh shame and regret and so on and then the next thing which is uh, ramdas talks about it in this lecture because we see what we do once we have some kind of witness and the next thing was okay i'm just not you know i've still got this anger i'm still got to deal with this stuff and maybe it was a little bit, I had a tiny little bit of compassion come in for myself at that moment. So this is uh, awfully relevant, or well, sure was for me, um, my desire to, to get my phone fixed overrode everything. My relation with who, relations with whoever I met up with on the path to getting that done. And, um, you know... Good life lesson, and you know, uh, he also says in this lecture that you know these these are, these experiences and, and and experiencing desires are what's needed. In other words, and uh, in, in, to be able to transform ourselves. So uh, this is all grist for the mill. We um, appreciate uh, you listening here, everybody, and and appreciate the support. Please do continue that support. You can go to ramdas.org, make a donation, or get some downloads, or go to the store. We have all sorts of incredible books, and we have a new t-shirt coming out. So take a look at that. So thank you, and see you next week on Ramdas, Here and Now. See, I don't really know who I am being at this moment. I don't understand all of the divine plan at every level. I'm like a water boy on the team. I don't understand how it all is. But I also figured out I don't have to understand it. That all I have to do is be it. And that the more I center, the more I meditate, the more I calm myself, the more I hear how it all is. And even if I don't hear how it all is, the more I be how it all is. So if there is an uneven place in me, all I have to do is work on myself. Just consecrate my acts, move to the center, 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 center. And as I give up attachment to knowing how it all comes out, or knowing how it all works, then the actions come into harmony with the Tao.
Most of us are right in the middle. We're halfway between being pulled by worldly desires and virag, where the desires have fallen away. We're right in between, most of us. It's like the abbot said in a monastery, he said, I would like to be, who he was very busy with worldly affairs. He said, I want to be one of the desert fathers, that means out in a monastery, meditating. But I don't want what I want just yet. Because I haven't quite finished. I haven't cooked all the seeds just yet. See, un eyes unclouded by desire see how it all is. Unclouded by desire, even the desire to see how it all is. See, we are the light. We are the light. The only difference between where I'm sitting and where somebody is sitting who thinks they're not me is a little thing called faith. All the times that I took acid and got high. I saw all of it again and again and again. I experienced moments of divine play at so many, many, many astral levels and so many, many, many causal planes. Once I recall being in a meditation room and going into a a state beyond even bliss of homogeneous light for many hours. And then re-entering in the third bardo to see a huge blood-red wave rolling down the, the room towards me. And in the wave was everything I ever was in this lifetime. It was this lifetime. It was the blood-red wave of this lifetime. It was a cross between a William Blake sketch and a Hieronymus Bosch painting. And it rolled down over me, and I held up my hands, I remember, and said, no, no, man, I don't want to go back to that. But I didn't know the key. I didn't know the key, and I had nothing to do. I was impotent in the face of this wave, and it just rolled back over me, and then there I was, caught back in the illusion. Now the key, whatever that key was, was slowly emerging in my consciousness. 
See, I thought at that time, since my key at that moment was LSD, and since the LSD was wearing off, my key was turning from a key of silver or jewels or golden key to the golden door, was just turning into slish, into drops, into nothing. And I had to wait until I could get the next golden key. But slowly it was dawning on me, not dawning intellectually, but coming to be, that more and more I started to develop a calm place in me from which I watched all the rest. It was the place where you stand on the bridge and you watch your whole life go on under the bridge. That place. See, I was trained as a psychologist, and I came out of what's called the Yale tradition. That is, I was a behaviorist. Now, behaviorists are people who study behavior. And they're studying the psyche of man through the manifestations of his behavior. And so if I follow you around with a clipboard and study your behavior, I will get to know something about your behavior and hopefully something about who it is behind the behavior. Now, when behaviorists have been asked to study themselves, they've gotten frightened. Because, historically, there was a thing called introspectionism, where people would sit down Thorndike and others, and they would write down all of their inner experiences. And they would build a body of knowledge about this, but everybody would say it's not science because it's not public, because only you see it. And how do we know that you are not distorting it because of your own desires? And in order to protect us from that terrible problem, we'll only study things that you and I can both see. Okay. Now, this is very comparable, as you know the analogy, I'm sure, to the drunk looking for his watch under the streetlight, although he lost it up the alley. Because it's, of course, lighter and easier to find watches under the streetlight, although it isn't where the watch is. Now, if you run scared about that problem about studying your own behavior because of introspectionism, you end up with what a kind of a slightly empty and brittle. It's it's science. <laughs> the lamb's here again. Oh wow! He always comes. He's beautiful. <laughs> uh, we're all here again. <laughs> you end up with kind of a brittle, brittle science until finally you realize that what you're going to do anyway is to study your own behavior. And you're slowly going to extricate yourself from the desires that cloud your eyes. 
and it becomes in the Gurdjieff system self-remembering, it becomes in many other systems developing the witness. In Oraj, a student of Gurdjieff, it becomes behavioral observation. It becomes developing a calm center. Finally, when we're going to work on ourselves, we see that the first thing we must do is extricate ourselves from our melodrama. We came in here tonight, we all at some level or other thought we were somebody or other. And it's only when we know we are not somebody that we become everybody. You have to give up your particular figure ground relationship to see that all the ground is figure. To see the true gestalt, to see the whole thing, how it all is. I know all that, you know all that, but yet my eye is not single because there are still attachments that keep bringing me back to this plane and being attached to this plane. Even though I understand that I am not to reject this plane, but I am to be able to as the Bhagavad Gita says that I just read, know the gods and goddesses, know all the planes. See how it is that just one plane back, like astrology is the science of heredity. Just go one plane back and you begin to see how, why all this is. Because each plane is a manifestation of the plane above it. And you go from the sanskaras to the lower manas, the thinking mind, which is just a reflection of the higher manas, which is the reflection of the jivatman, which is a reflection of the mahadatman, which is just the other side of the coin, purusha and prakriti, which is one as Brahma. We can even now find systems, we're open enough to find systems that satisfy us. But we can't rush the process. My teacher writes on his slate, desire has to fall away as the skin from a snake. You can't rip it off. You can't rip it off. 
desire for food, desire for friendship, desire to hang out, desire to have sexual gratification, desire for smelling spring, desire for hot baths and great luxurious softness, desire for pure food, desire for the light, desire, 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 desire. All we can do is witness it all from the calm center where we all sit eternally. It's just so much stuff. It's all of our desires. That's who we are. We are at this moment the manifestation of our desires. First thing my teacher wrote on his chalkboard, I always say over and over again, because I think about it so often. He said, desire is the trap. Desirelessness is moksha, is liberation. Desire is the creator. Desire is the destroyer. Desire is the universe. And when I see the desires that put me in this predicament at this moment, at one level I can feel horror, but then I say, even that's an attachment. All I can end up feeling is a great sense of the poignancy of the predicament. How poignant. How poignant it is. It's called compassion. The first being one must have compassion for is oneself. You can't witness with a chip on your shoulder. You can't witness with an axe to grind. Ramana Maharshi said, if people would stop wailing, alas, I am a sinner, and use all that energy to get on with it, they'd all be enlightened. And he also said, when you're cleaning up the outer temple before going into the inner temple, don't stop to read everything you're going to throw away. <laughs> See, we can all get so preoccupied with where we're not. You know, I get letters all the time from people with vivid descriptions of where they're not. The amount of consciousness they invested in writing the letter to describe where they're not. But then every now and then I get a letter and all it's filled with is pages and pages of Ram, 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 Ram. And I read every page. Every page, right? What else is there to write? What else is there to write? See, the process for those that have that scientific bent that want it said that way, the process is no other than completely reorganizing your cognitive map. 
so that you see the entire universe from another place, from your divine self. See, because who you were taught you were wasn't your divine self, most of you. Very few of your mothers said to you, you are your divine self. <laughs> Very few said, when I look at you, I see God. Yeah, right. <laughs> and what is transmitted from parent to child is all the love that can exist within the illusion, which is itself seeking the light. At every level of the illusion, there must be total honor to your karma at every plane, to parents, to religion, to country, to world, to mankind, to the Divine Mother, at every, every level of her manifestation, there must be honor. You can't get away with bypassing any of it. You can't leave any strings on loose ends. They're just anchors, just karmic anchors. Every time, in order to get from point to A to point B, because you see point B is in the light, along the way you leave a bad vibration. Just new karma, creating more of the stuff, the stuff that entwines you, that keeps, keeps you all tied up. If you're coming over here and you're on the subway and you meet a ticket taker or somebody changing money who says something, you're in a rush and she's slow and you get angry and you put her uptight by your anger, in order to get here to be holy. See? 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 You see. We see, don't we? I see, don't you? <laughs> it all costs. It all costs, because that's who we are. Because we are her as well as us. She's that of us that's in that ticket booth at this moment, with whatever vibrations we've left. You can't look at the desires that still exist as curses because they are as much a message, a teaching to you as anything else. There's the distinction made between Satguru and Upaguru. The Satguru is the guru that beckons from beyond.
He is the eternal being who is manifest in every form that is called guru. Christ, the master yogi. Buddha, Ramakrishna, Ramana Maharshi, Maharaji. Then there are the Satgurus. The Satgurus are the beings along the way that teach you something. Did you ever look back? I sat in a temple in India once and I made a long list of all the Upagurus I could remember. Because what you'll notice happens is as you get to each new plane of understanding of how it is, you look back and you write your whole biography entirely differently. In 1961, if I reflected to write an autobiography when I was being a professor at Harvard, I would have written one type of biography about how I came to be in this successful position and who helped me out along the way. And believe me, in all the lists I made when I was there of what was going to happen in my life next, no list included this. <laughs> None whatsoever. And now that I see that I am still, there are desires in me that are tenaciously holding on, that are still me in the illusion. And yet I see that within me is light that's breaking out and coming through to the surface like I never had thought possible nine years ago. Now I look back and I see all the things that happened to me in my life that helped that light emerge. Those are my upagurus. It was one of my worst enemies at prep school. Somebody who tried to blackmail me. And I suddenly realized that what he was going to do didn't matter. And that freed me. And therefore I must honor him because he is one of my Upagurus. The Upagurus become all the beings along the way, all the experiences along the way that started to tell you who you really are. Who we really are. Who we really are. My mother was an interesting person. She was a good middle-class woman. And she was with a vengeance a good middle-class woman. And yet lurking inside there was a very high being. But she had no vehicle through which to manifest it. And every now and then it would break out around the edges. And there we would be, right here. But then we had no form within which to live it. Because in the social roles and all the ways we had learned to relate to one another, what are you going to say? Your God, Mother? No. Your God, Richard? Well, we're both God. Well, here we are. Wow, man. <laughs> you don't say that as a middle-class mother. It's nonsense. Time enough for that when you go to temple. 
Now eat your supper. Stop talking about God. Well, I wouldn't have said it anyway in those days. Because we were in a conspiracy to deny who we really are. Because it was too scary. Isn't it? Don't you find it that way? <laughs> you must. Yeah. It's scary to be light and to be love, to be truth and to be beauty. Because none of the existing forms of the social structure in which we live has that category. In all the cards you've filled out, it's never asked, like, who are you? One is love, one is light, one is truth, one is beauty. So I said before, last week, I think, we're way ahead of where we are yet able to say we are. We're way ahead of where we can conceptualize our existence. And we've still been so turned off by the holy books that we haven't yet, many of us, dug that in there are all the words that describe who we are. One of the requirements of Ashtanga Yoga, part of Niyama, the second of the eight limbs, is contentment. Contentment. Accepting it all as it is. Now that does not mean, there was a very interesting editorial in Life magazine by Barry Farrell sometime after the Woodstock Festival. And he said that he was standing there in the rain with all these other people and he was standing next to these young people who were in the rain, they didn't have any food, the toilet facilities weren't proper. It was all just uh, soggy. And he said, they looked so content. And he said, I'm deeply concerned about our culture. <laughs> he said, because I am concerned about the arising of a generation characterized by bovine passivity. Right? Cow-like passivity. Did you ever see the sacred cows in India? Yeah. Bovine passivity. That's the way it is, man. It's raining. What are you going to do, Mr. Farrell? You're going to stop the rain? Stop the rain. <laughs> because accepting where it all is is the first step to the change. Because as long as you deny where it is, you can't change it. Because you're busy being attached to where it is. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.